Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This is our second Advent Sunday. One of the oldest and most venerated traditions of Christmas is complaining about Christmas. Specifically about how Christmas is becoming more and more commercialized. People have been complaining about that for at least 200 years, just so you know. So, I think the tension is, on the one hand, we feel like giving gifts is exactly the right thing to do in celebrating what we're celebrating. But on the other hand, we feel this kind of crassness of how it is constantly bombarding us with advertising and the products going up on the shelves in August now. And, you know, it's crass and we feel it. And so what is it about gifts that makes them completely appropriate for what we celebrate at Christmas and yet also at the same time feel so betrayed by commercialization? And so the message this morning is the gift of Christmas. We're in our series of dirt and glory looking at the letter to the Ephesians and we're going to be exploring how Christmas is about the truest gift ever given and it's salvation in Christ Jesus. And we're going to see this this salvation can only be a gift. And anyone receives the gift, we're going to look at how anyone receives the gift and how you know you've received the gift. Okay, so let's read from Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, and I'll try and keep our message a little shorter today. And it says this, so follow along with me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the air, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the heart of this passage is our first point, that the gospel is and must be entirely and exclusively a gift. And you see the gift, the idea of a gift turning up over and over again in this passage four times. Paul uses two different words, charis and doron, that that grace and gift that are interchangeable many times in scripture, but he's going to great lengths to show us that the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ incarnate, what we celebrate at Christmas, it is the most generous, 
incredible, unbelievable gift that's ever been offered in the history of mankind. And so it must be a gift in order to be good news to us. That's what Paul's getting at. Now, why is it so important to him that we realize that the gospel is a gift? And I've talked a bit about this before because it's one of my favorite things about the gospel. So if you've heard this, you're just going to have to deal with it, okay? (laughs) There's two types of things that can belong to you, gifts and commodities. Two types of property, and the difference between them is not so much in the object. Anything can be either a gift or a commodity, but the difference is in how they are exchanged. So, for instance, we get together Christmas Day, and I bring out this box, and I give it to you. I say, hey, I've got a gift for you, and I give it to you. You open it up, and you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And I say, can I have the $20 I spent on it now? (laughs) Now, what's happened? The same thing that I offered, firstly, as a gift, by my exchange of it and how I treated it, I've turned it right back into a commodity. And so you see how the same thing can be one or the other, depending on how you treat it. For something to truly be a gift, it must be offered freely and not as a response to anything in the recipient. If the recipient is worthy of it or or somehow deserves it, it's actually not a gift. That's why we have laws against being paid in gifts. Because they're not gifts. And so as soon as you try, as soon as you even try to sell or, or buy or barter for a gift, it ceases to be a gift and it turns back into a commodity. And so what Paul's saying is that the gospel is utterly a gift because it is not offered in response to anything in us. How can that be true? You say, don't we have to obey God's commands to please him and be saved? Don't we have to obey him? And Paul's saying, no. You say, whoa, hold on there, Ian. That sounds a little, you know, you're sensible people. Read along with me and let's find out if this is what the Bible says. All right? Salvation is not a response to anything we do. Here's what Paul says in the first three verses. Here's how I would summarize it. Here's the situation we're in. Without Christ... Humanity is spiritually dead, enslaved to sin, and condemned to judgment. Not a pretty picture. And yet, I do you a disservice if I don't tell you about it. Paul says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And when you check the Greek on the word dead, it means dead. literally a corpse. You were a corpse in your sins. And not only that, but you were under the power of the prince of the air. That's Satan. He's saying you were enslaved to the passions of your flesh, unable to do anything other than your fleshly and, and, and mind desires. And so the outcome, he says, is that we were children of wrath. The, the road we were on was a road to destruction, a road towards the righteous judgment of God that is going to be poured out on all evil. And guess what? Even the evil that's inside of our hearts. Without Christ, 
were dead, enslaved, and condemned. Now, does that sound like someone in the position to barter, to buy God's favor? And you might think, well, that that doesn't sound like me. You know, I'm not an evil person. And I think the reason we're always able to say that, one thing I I learned growing up with drug addicts and criminals, the kind of people that society says are, are bad people, is that no matter how low you get, there's always someone you can look down on. Sure, I steal, but I'd never steal from my mom. You know, sure, I I do heroin, but I'd never inject, right? There's always someone that in your mind, you can justify your own goodness by looking down on them. But the, the question is not whether there's someone lower than us. The question is, it, it, it's, it's not a case of that. It's a case of no matter how good you are, because guess what? You don't have to be a Christian to be a, an ethical person. In fact, you know, there's, there's plenty of atheists or, or people of other religions that often put Christians to shame. But it's not a question of whether you're an ethical person. It's a question of where are you standing? Because if, you're, if you don't belong to God, if you're not a, a, a child of God, in other words, you, you belong to him, then what it means is you're standing, you're trying to establish your own right to existence. You're trying to make your own way in the world. And the thing is, if God is the source of life, it doesn't matter how good of a person you are, if you're disconnected from him, the only direction you can go in is towards destruction. It's towards death. And so, if you don't belong to him, Paul says, you're, you're headed towards death. You're, you're under slavery to decay. And you're headed towards an eternity apart from him. But then we continue in the passage and we come, I think, to the most beautiful turning point, maybe in all scripture. It's these two monosyllables, but God. Doesn't that just... Oh. But God, and, and this is, we, we see the same turning point in Romans chapter five, where Paul says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if, we, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And so what we read here in Ephesians expands on that same train of thought that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Even when we were under slavery to sin, to the the law of sin and death, he redeemed us. He purchased us out of slavery by the power of his resurrection. Even when we were condemned to judgment in hell, he enthroned us in victory in the heavenly places. So each of those three things that were so terrible in our state without Christ, you see how in Christ, each of them is restored and redeemed and glorified. In sin, we were dead, enslaved, and condemned. And our next point is that in Christ, we are raised to life, redeemed from sin, and enthroned in victory. 
This is our inheritance in Christ. This is what we were looking at last week, this this mystery of how can these things be true about us? And yet we see that they're true in the gospel, in Christ. This is the unspeakable gift that's offered to us in the incarnation. And what I want to tell you this morning is that the greatest good that has ever occurred in the history of the universe is the self-sacrifice of the creator on behalf of his creations. And it's made all the greater by the fact that he didn't sacrifice himself and his son for the people that followed him or the people that loved him or the morally righteous people. It says he did it on behalf of his enemies. Those who were dead set against him. And that is you and me. That's all of us. Why would he do that? And the answer is to demonstrate his glory. To demonstrate that above anything else in all of creation, he deserves our praise. He deserves our worship and our love and our adoration. It was not a response to something in us. This was a response to something in God. Paul says that he did it because he was rich in mercy. And when we talk about gifts and commodities, we're talking about two different markets, two different economies with different rules. And in the market of gifts, it's the givers who are rich, not the receivers. In the market of commodities, it's the receivers who are rich as they accumulate. But in the market of gifts, it's the givers who are rich and are seen to be rich and generous. The more you give, the richer you are. And so he didn't do it as a response to our love for him or our obedience to him. It says he did it because of the great love with which he loved us. So not because we were rich, but because he was rich. Not because we loved him, but because he loved us. And love speaks in gifts. Gifts are the currency of love and relationship. And so that's the meaning of why we exchange gifts at Christmas. That's, that's the heart of it, of why it emerged as a tradition within the Christian church, is it's, it's looking at God's generosity towards us and responding in the same manner. Especially, there's why, that's why there's a tradition of charity at Christmas time, because it's especially in showing generosity to those who could never pay you back. That's a reflection of the heart of God. And so as we, as we summarize all that and we look at who we are and what he's done and why he did it, I think the only conclusion we can come to with Paul is this. If the gospel is not a gift, it's simply not good news. If the gospel's not a gift, it's not good news. Why do I say that? Because if salvation is something that we get as a response to something within us, If salvation is in any way a commodity, something that you can buy or trade or barter for, then that's really bad news for us. Because commodities, the way that they work, the only commodities can only belong to those who have the resources to acquire them. Right? And so... That's, that's just how they work. That's how the market of commodities works. But if that's the case, then people like you and me 
have no hope whatsoever. And again, that's not because you're a particularly bad person. Because this, if salvation is a response to something in me, it means I'm always going to fall short. Romans 3 says, there's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Paul says in Galatians, as soon as you step into the the, the commodities market, in other words, if you step into trying to demonstrate your worthiness before God under the law, he says you're under a curse. Because the law says anyone who does not fulfill the entirety of the law is a breaker of the law. And so, if salvation is something that I offer God, well, that's only good news if you are a morally perfect, righteous person. And I'm not in that category. I'm not going to, you know, judge you, but I, for one, am not in that category. And so what happens is it becomes an exclusive message. If, if the gospel is a commodity, something that you have to buy, trade, or earn somehow, then it becomes a message of exclusion. It says you are out. You are ruled out from this because you don't have the resources morally, spiritually, vocationally to earn this. You don't have what it takes. That's the message, and it's basically a message of condemnation. But thank God that's not the end of the sentence. In Romans 3, it goes on to say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if it's a gift, it means it becomes good news to the unrighteous. Because gifts naturally flow towards the undeserving. The more undeserving the person, the greater the gift becomes. Gifts are not a response to your merit. In fact, gifts come even in spite of your merit. And so, while my being dead and enslaved and condemned excluded me from salvation, now this gospel of the the, the grace of God, the gift of God, now it is inclusive of me, of all of us, actually. And the worse of a person you are, the greater that gift becomes. And so the doors are flung open. Because it's offered as a gift, it means everyone can come in. Everyone's welcome. And it brings even more glory to God. And so the question is, how can this gift be yours? Well, it can't be purchased. It can't be earned. It can't be bartered for in return for good behavior. Because when you do any of those things, what you're actually doing is rejecting the gift. If you sit down at a table, we all do this, you know, you go out to dinner with somebody and, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to fight for the check right? My parents told me at least you got to, you got to at least pretend, right? <laughs> Missionary kid. People take you out for dinner a lot and you get to be like, oh no, please no. <laughs> 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 
I've said this before. I have a, a friend who's a hedge fund manager. He does very well for himself. One time I, I did that, and he says, Ian, stop. <laughs> I, was, I was a university student at the time. Like, I had, you know, 20 cents. <laughs> he said, don't pay up. You don't pay up. Because what you're doing, it's, at a certain point, it becomes rude because what you're doing is you're refusing someone's gift. Yeah? And so when you even try and do it, what you're doing is you're refusing the gift. And so how can you receive this gift? Well, just like any other gift, the only thing you can do is receive it. That's your only option if you're going to, if it's going to belong to you as a gift. So Romans 3 tells us the gift can only be received by faith. And so Ephesians 2.8 mirrors this, and it, it, it may just be your favorite verse. It's certainly one of mine. For grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Now this, this, is, this is evangelical bread and butter, isn't it? Okay. Any good child of the Reformation can repeat these words. They can repeat the, you know, by Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone. We know this. It's foundational. The problem is <laughs> the idea of earning things is so ingrained in us that we can, we can accept that, but then we, we, we turn absolutely anything that we feel we can cling on to back into a work, back into a commodity. So we know, well, you know, I'm saved. It's, it's God's grace alone. But, but <laughs> the reason I know I'm a Christian is that 30 years ago, I, I prayed and I made a decision for Christ. And very subtly, you can, you can begin to turn something you did back into the reason why you are deserving of a gift. Do you see that? We can do it with our repentance. I know I'm a Christian because, you know, I, I really repented and I really meant it. And, and I look back at that date, I look back at that night and, and now my life's different. And I, I know I'm a Christian because I came to my senses like the prodigal son and I ran back towards my father. We have the tendency to turn anything, no matter how pathetic it really is when you look at it, back into some sort of meritorious work. As if praying a formula or shedding some tears, suddenly God owes us this. Yeah? <laughs> you got to read the book of, uh, of Galatians. The whole book is, is kind of about this because Paul says to the Galatians who were doing this, he says, are you really so stupid? That's what he says. You foolish Galatians, you started off in the spirit and now you think you're going to continue in the flesh. You're turning this gospel of grace back into a gospel of works. And he says, it's a different gospel and it leads straight back into the curse of the law. Paul knew that as soon as you receive the gift, it's the easiest thing in the world to turn it right back into a commodity. 
And so that's on, he, he goes on to make it very explicit, even though, it, you know, as if what we read in verses one to seven was not explicit enough that we are undeserving. He goes on to make it even clearer. He says, verses eight and nine, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And then once again, because we're hard of hearing, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And so it, it, it brings us down to this crucial question. What is it that makes you a Christian? What is it that makes anybody a Christian? What does your salvation depend on? How do you know if you're really a Christian? And Paul gives us a test here. And he says, the test is this. In answering that question, does your concept of why you're a Christian give you any reason to be proud? Does your answer as to why you're a Christian and how you can know that you're a Christian reflect any credit on you? Because Paul says, if so, you're not in Christ. You're actually not a Christian. And those are terrifying and scary words, but they're words that are in scripture to wake us up out of our stupor. (laughs) And so, does our concept of what makes us a Christian give us anything that we could possibly boast in? And the point is this, those who boast in themselves reject God's gift. Bible says we're all going to stand before God. We will be examined. And when we're examined and we face that question of (laughs) why should you have this eternal life? Are you going to point to your church attendance? Are you going to point to, well, I served on the worship team. Are you going to point to your speaking in tongues and your prophesying and your, your spiritual experiences? Are you going to point to healing the sick and giving to the poor? Are you going to point to the prayer that you prayed and how many tears you shed when you repented? Will you point to your understanding of justification by faith or substitutionary atonement? Well, if so, Paul wants to tell us we may be a very good person. We may be a perfectly respectable person and religious person, but in the end, we're not a Christian. Because Paul says, a Christian is someone who can only point to the gift of God as the basis for their their salvation. And so I encourage you to take that verse and personalize it for yourself. You could say it like this, by grace, I have been saved. Through faith, it is not my own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of my works, and I have no reason to boast. And so the sentence, anytime you start the sentence, I'm a Christian because I, we're already on the wrong track. It's not because I, it's because he. 
I'm not a Christian because I came to my senses and responded to the altar call and made a decision for Christ. That may have been my pathway into it, but that's not why. I'm a Christian because God, even when I was dead in my trespasses and sins, even when I was enslaved and could do nothing else in my flesh to please him, even though I was under condemnation and headed towards hell, he came out and ran towards me and gave himself for me and died for me and resurrected so that I could have new life. He defeated death on my behalf and he planted his spirit in my heart and made me a new person. (sighs) It was him from beginning to end, guys. It was him from beginning to end. And yes, our wills cooperate with him. They do, but that's not the source of our salvation. Faith doesn't save us. Christ saves us through faith. And if it's in any way something that's based on you, well, I'm going to tell you, you're going to live in great turmoil your whole Christian life because that's always up in the air. If, if salvation and you're passing that examination before God depends on something that's within you, that is always a shifting sand. But you know what? When you can look at him as that only answer, you've got something fixed and sure that can never move, that you don't have to just hope you're a Christian. Well, you know, I'm trying to be. No, (laughs) he did it. It's not my works, it's his works. And so the result of these works, I have to leave this, I have to, work this in to make sure that you get the balance here because you say, well, surely we have to do something. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's, it's, we, get it, we get it flipped. The demonstration that we've received his gift, the demonstration that we've received it as a gift and not turned it back into a commodity is that our lives now pour out in gratitude to him. And so a gift is received, a gift received is demonstrated by works of gratitude. And I want to use an analogy here as I close. Um, The passage begins by showing us that humanity fell and we've been in free fall ever since. And on our own, Paul's saying, without Christ, you are careening towards your death with absolutely nothing that you could do about it. But here comes the gospel and says, here's a parachute. (laughs) And if you trust this parachute, it will save you. But how do you know if you actually trust it? And this is how I'm bringing these things together. How do you know if you actually trust it? Well, you pull the cord. Yeah? You might say, well, I trust it. Yeah, yeah, this parachute's going to save me. But you never actually pull the cord. It doesn't matter. The trust doesn't save you. It's the parachute on your back, right? And your trust is demonstrated by the fact that you actually pulled the cord. And so if we've truly received the gift of the gospel by faith, the, the evidence of that trust will inevitably turn up in your life. How can it not? 
thank God we're not saved by our works. Because if we were, there'd be absolutely no hope for us. But Paul says we are created in Christ. We're not, we're not saved by good works, but Paul says we're his worksmanship, created in Christ for good works that he prepared for us beforehand that we would walk in them. And so it's not good works that lead us to one day being able to say I'm a Christian. It's his works that make us a Christian and set us off into a life of good works, of gratitude towards him. And so he ends that, that section, we are his worksmanship. He saved you. He rescued you when you were dead in slavery and condemnation. And now he's lifting that dirt into glory. God, the son became human. He descended into the dirt so that he could lift the dirt of humanity, make us sons of God and lift us into glory. That's the message. That's the gift of Christmas. Let's pray together. And just, if you would, and, and Bethlehem is, is still with us, um, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to stand and we can end with the doxology because you know what? I think this deserves a hearty doxology. <laughs> doxology means praise, worship. Um, hmm. Why don't you just put your hands out like this as if you're about to receive a gift. And it's a surprise and you're excited. (laughs) Father God, we thank you for the incredible gift of your son. That the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, his grace towards us. Jesus, this morning, I pray for anyone who has never received that gift. Lord, your invitation is for them right now to receive it. It can only be received by faith, by trusting him. And so that good news is for you. Lord, and for all of us here, I pray that you would, Holy Spirit, you would help us to examine our hearts to see if we really are in the faith. That if we're standing in you or we're standing still in our own ways of proving to you that we're worth it somehow. Lord, open our eyes to the futility of that whole endeavor and open our eyes to the the glory of your free gift. Praise you, Lord, for your gift. Fill us with that hope and that joy that, that comes when we realize just how lost and dead and enslaved we are without you, Lord. But thank God for this glorious gift that in you, We're made alive. We're redeemed from slavery. And we are enthroned in heavenly places. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.